and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered Franchising, powered by Scott Milos, FranchiseCoach.com. I am your host, Scotty Milos. All Things Considered Franchising is a podcast dedicated to the entrepreneur. We emphasize in the franchising industry. Scott Milos, FranchiseCoach.com is an organization I started many, many years ago, helping people research and explore business ownership, helping them take them, take them through the steps of validating a uh, franchise opportunity and then helping them make a validated decision. Um, today's guest is an interesting guest, uh, and, and you talk about people that make an impact immediately in an industry. Um, somebody who, um, I guess if you've been paying attention to the industry, has uh, franchising in general, I should say, not necessarily an industry, but franchising, um, has, has really created a new brand. And uh, I'd like to take the opportunity to welcome uh, Aaron Harper, who is CEO, owner of uh, Rolling Suds, a power washing uh, franchise concept. Uh, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Scotty. I appreciate it. And I'm excited to be here and talk with you today. You know, um, when you look at longevity, people in the industry who uh, switch from development roles, helping people research and explore opportunities or working for a specific brand, going to a franchise or starting a brand, you have a tendency to see a lot of tenure. You came out of the development side on the brand side um, a lot quicker starting a brand. And it's a great, interesting story. So maybe kind of tell us a little bit about how that happened, because you have certainly made an impact in the service category, service-based category uh, with uh, Rolling Suds. That, yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I've been in franchising for years on, like you said, on the franchise development, franchise sales side. Um, both the brands that I've been involved in prior to Rolling Suds became the largest brand in that industry while I was there. So that was pretty cool to see like an established brand on the carpet cleaning side, then more of an emerging brand on the drywall repair side. I helped grow both of those brands. Um, and, uh, you know, with the with the, the, the drywall repair brand essentially sold out the country. Um, we did uh, 223 locations for that brand in 24 months wow. um, through COVID. So I, I got involved in the middle of uh, 2020. And then by the end of 2022, um, we had, we, we were over 300 locations. Um, now that brand needed a lot of help from an infrastructure standpoint. And up until that point, I had no experience in operations. Um, but in order to prepare a franchise system for scaling that rapidly, you need to put systems in place. And so, right. um, me and a brand president essentially did that and spent six months doing that before we, uh, started selling franchises. And in that experience, I learned how to build a brand. And um, yeah, so so when I had the opportunity uh, in 2022 to either go work for another franchisor and help sell their brand or continue working for the platform company that I was working at, they wanted me to take on a the company I was working at wanted me to take on a brand that kind of incubate a brand from scratch um, that didn't really have any economics, but it was a cool concept and. I was like, I can do this on my own. Um, right. I could raise capital. I could find a business that I believe in and I could franchise that business. So I looked at two dozen businesses across the country uh, to franchising the residential and commercial services space because that's my niche. Met the founders of Rolling Suds after doing pretty heavy diligence on about five, six brands. 
it was the best business I evaluated. It was the only one that checked all the boxes for me. Um, first and foremost, they're just incredible people. The founders of Rolling Suds, the Wenling family. Uh, it's a family family business, 33-year-old power washing business, and I knew they had something special um, and that I could replicate it. So we finalized the transaction for me to acquire the franchise rights in January of 2023. I raised capital at the same time. We started franchising in February of 23, end of February. And since then, we have added uh, 104 locations in 22 states. Um, Congratulations. That's, that, thank that's you. a great story. You know, you come from, you can put your finger on the pulse in two elements here. You can speak to people who are thinking about franchising a business. And you probably, with your experience with the drywall business and the other brands that you help build, um, you can speak to the credibility of franchising, but also what people, the characteristics or the drive people need to be a successful franchisee. Uh, people seem to think that you have to be a successful franchisee by owning hundreds and hundreds of territories or brands. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but right. in reality, at least in my, in my opinion, the way I coach people is, is that you have to be good at managing and delegating the territories or units that you have. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the characteristics you see when somebody is interested in franchising their business, where the success path leads to, or, you know, that characteristic. And of course, people who are maybe listening now also who are considering investing in a business, they want to get out of corporate America. Maybe share some thoughts on that, your experience on working with different types of people. Yeah, I definitely can speak to both sides, the franchisor side and then the franchisee side. So out of the people I've talked to and signed up, we've turned away 43 people who wanted to be franchisees, had the capital and weren't right for our system. Um, so I, I, you know, I know what it takes and what kind of like grit and, you know, execution that a franchisee needs um, in order to do that. And, and there's a lot of people who want to be franchisees, but then they want to create all the systems themselves and they want to like, you know, innovate and change. And it's like, that's not what you should do as a franchisee to start. It's imitate before you innovate. Like you're buying a system, right. you're paying a quarter million dollars or hundred thousand dollars or taking out an SBA loan for the system. It'd be crazy not to follow the, the um, rule book slash instruction manual. And then once you get it down, then go talk to the franchisor and say, hey, I figured out this thing. I think it could really help the network. This is what it's doing for me. And a good franchisor should listen to that and then implement it across the, the network. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a bunch of characteristics. I would say grit is probably the most important one. Just I'm going to do and I'm going to get it done no matter what happens. Um, we focus an emphasis on franchise ownership. Uh, like truly owning the business, um, right. not just waiting for marketing companies to deliver you leads. Like that's, that is a benefit. One of the small, you know, one of the benefits of a franchisor is, is marketing resources, but there are a ton others and, and, and own your business. Um, and then on the franchisor side, I tell more people not to franchise their business than I tell to franchise their business. And, and the reason is, is because the franchise business is a completely different business than whatever the core widget is, if you will. So epoxy coatings, youth enrichment, food, 
bonsai bowls, like whatever it is, that's one business. And then the franchise business is how to run a franchise or right. And, um, and so whenever I talk to someone, I ask them a few questions like, Aaron, I want to franchise my business. You've added, you know, 50 locations in six months. Like I really want to do what you're doing. How much capital do you have? You'd be shocked at how many of them have less than a hundred thousand dollars. Right to go towards franchising. And then the second question is, okay, well, if you have $100,000, where are you going to get the rest of the capital? Can you siphon it off from your corporate units? And if the answer is no to those two questions, don't franchise your business. Um, exactly. And I mean, that's just the responsible thing to do. And, and I believe uh, I believe that if someone does want to be a franchisor, raise the capital, find someone who's got franchise operations experience that believes in the story, hire them, pay them really well, and then create systems that you make sure that the units get open. And um, you're so. absolutely right, Aaron. I mean, you know, it's interesting how many people call me up and say, hey, Scott, can you help me franchise my business? And a lot of people think, and look, I can go back 15 years, 20 years, whatever. It was very expensive to franchise your business on the legal side, the FDD side yeah. and everything, the operation mantle. Now you could probably do it. It's all templated. It's easy. But what people don't realize is, is that getting that business franchise, the legal documents, the franchise disclosure document, your own and your operations manual putting together is a small percentage of what it takes to be successful, not only on the time commitment side, but the financial side. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that, you know, great, you have $100,000, but you're going to need a lot more than that because... You need internal systems to support your franchisees, but more importantly, you need to create the lead generation and interest for people to inquire and take people through the development uh, process. Um, so, so great point there. Um, going back to the franchisee, um, I have found over the last 18 months, a couple of years now, the word semi-absentee has become you know, just one of those words, I want a semi-absentee business, not passive, semi-absentee. Um, it sounds like that the people that you did not uh, approve or award the franchise wasn't necessarily for the fact that you, they may not have had financial means, but it sounds like they were more in line based on listening to you that they didn't have the, 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 the being to put the effort into building the business. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that building a business today, that especially on the service side, you need a sales aptitude. And I'm not talking about being Willie Loman where you're cold calling and leaving and knocking on doors, but there's a networking side to this. Can you speak to any of that? I mean, how accurate is yeah. I mean, is that an accurate statement? So I do most of my franchise, my, my, I find most of my candidates through franchise consultants. I have years and years of deep relationships within predominantly one network where um, I have a ton of trust um, that, well, they trust me that I'm going to take care of their candidates and make sure they get the support they need. And I trust them to present good candidates to me that fit within the ethos of whichever brand that I, I work in. Um, they know not to present someone to me that is expecting a part-time business right. primarily because they know I don't believe in that. Um, candidly, like, um, and, and also just from like a franchise or side speaking to that a little bit, like 
why would any franchisor want semi-absentee franchisees? I don't want semi-absentee royalty streams. Like right. royalty streams pay my bills. If I'm providing support to one person and I'm getting semi-results on royalties, then I'm putting in more effort than the franchisee. And that's not something I'm particularly interested in. Um, I think there is this like has been this almost shift within like the influencer community of like buy a business, run it part time, get it start started, keep your job, buy, you know, buy a laundry mat or whatever. And like, it'll just run itself. And then once you have enough cash flow, you can leave your business or you can go buy another business or, and then there's all this like other stuff, like every wealthy person has seven streams of income. It's like, yeah, but how'd they get that? They, right, they focused exactly. on one thing and did it really well for a period of time, then exited, then distributed their income. And, um, and so <clears throat> the people that I've turned away, uh, they weren't particularly in that situation because those people don't make it to my calendar, typically. I mean, I would say by and large, they don't make it to my calendar. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a whole ton of thoughts on this. I don't think any person should buy a franchise thinking that they're going to run it five, 10 hours a week or two hours a month. And, and I, and I do think that, uh, at scale, this, this, this myth is being, it's been slight, pretty pervasive. Um, yep. and, and I, I, I would I, just I, rather I, be I, honest. I, I, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it becomes a selfish side on the franchisor side because they just want to get to a point where they're saying they sold franchises. You know, I, I've yeah, always told yeah. people that, you know, selling, offering and awarding the franchise and getting somebody to sign the agreement is great. But if you're not able as a franchisor to get them up and operating, that's number one. And number two, operating and being successful, you know, that's why validation is key here. I mean, you've got to, you know, as a, a, a potential franchisee, an interest in a brand, you've really got to, you know, kind of roll up your sleeves and get into that validation and, and find out how is the opening? How is it going? I mean, uh, and especially with right. service businesses, especially because with a service business, you're a hunter, you go out, you're finding leads, you're developing relationships here in your community. It's not like a QSR where you build the, the location and people walk in. And so to say that a service business can be run semi-absentee and that a general manager will actually drive the business in the way that makes the most sense and the person who invested can keep their quarter million dollar a year job at Oracle while they work 60 hours a week. And if those people do make it to my my calendar, I just say, listen, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Like you're not right, right. for our system. So, but I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest $200,000 of your money and and then hire someone to run it part-time. Like, and you, you, you know, if you, if you spend 60 hours of your week growing someone else's business and 10 hours of your week growing your business, guess whose business is going to grow? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. I mean, I mean it, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's different if someone's looking at a retail type business. I mean, if you're looking at a retail business where you're going to hire a manager to open, close, help, you know, kind of be in touch, that's one thing. But I think you're absolutely right. This misnomer about a semi-absentee business in the service industry is is really, it's kind of like going out and buying a, a Ferrari and giving the keys to your neighbor and say, here, use my car. I bought this car. You know, I, I don't use it, but just use it because I bought it. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then also, and then also go create a rental business around it. 
and you know rent it out for two three hundred dollars an hour and then deliver money to my inbox at the end of every month and you know that's that's <laughs> i agree with you i just it, it's like crazy right um, before we, you know, before we uh, depart here, I mean, this is great advice, Aaron. We're talking to uh, Aaron Harper, who is uh, CEO, founder of uh, Rolling Suds. Um, I'd like you to share some information about Rolling Suds because I find this to be a very fascinating business. Um, it's uh, the support levels and the operational support, the marketing support, and the franchisee that you're bringing on board uh, are, are, you know, really kind of just, they all go hand in hand. So maybe tell us a little bit about Rolling Suds, the franchisee, you know, the business model, and why somebody should consider this as an opportunity in the service category. So I'll start with the franchisee. So the franchisee that we're signing up, they have higher liquidity, higher risk tolerance. They have pretty high net worth relative to their kind of like age. Um, and, uh, and they all want to build a really big business. So multi-million dollar, multi-truck, like they're not happy with two to three trucks. Like they're going like, and they want to build a big business. Uh, a million dollars is just a starting point for them, uh, you know, and we, so we've brought in people from private equity backgrounds. They've exited businesses before they're leaving salaries where they're making three, $400,000 a year. They have killer sales experience. They've operated businesses before they've grown other people's businesses. So really kind of high caliber of individuals. And I've been very careful in, in the selection criteria to make sure that every one of them aligns with kind of our ethos of becoming the biggest power washing company in the world and doing it by providing exceptional experiences to our customers. And then on our side, my thought is that if we provide exceptional experiences to our franchisees and we obsess right. over the franchisee experience, then and they obsess over the customer experience, all of our businesses will grow. So that's, that's kind of who we're looking for. Obviously, I mentioned someone who's actively involved, but does not want a power wash. So we do help franchisees recruit two employees prior to going to training. Those employees will run the truck for, for franchisees. They'll come to training. We teach them our process. Um, we also turn leads on a month back from training. So franchisees are effectively running their business, selling a full calendar for a full month before they go to training. And so it's a pretty robust infrastructure from a training standpoint. Because within four weeks after they sign, they know enough to be out there 40 hours a week running the day-to-day. -day. Um, so there's a ton of virtual training and everything like that. And then our customer acquisition strategy is pretty robust because we're both residential and commercial. Um, we're actually majority commercial business on the power washing side, which a lot of people don't really think about when they think power washing. They think $150 driveways and knocking doors right. and, you know, the high school student who works six months out of the year and makes $50,000, which is great for him, but we're, we're kind of operating on a, high, a higher level. So a, a little bit just about kind of the model, we, we do residential and commercial power washing. Um, we do that one thing and we do it better than anyone else. We don't mess with windows, gutters, Christmas lights. And um, from what I've found, we're the only real power washing franchise that, um, that just does that, that has any real relevance. There are exterior clean franchises, but we just focus on power washing. Um, I saw an opportunity after analyzing two dozen businesses to become the leader in the space. Um, if you think back, there's been a few times where this has happened in the past, like in the nineties, the junk business was just a dude with a truck and he put right. junk in it. And then 
1-800-GOT-JUNK came around and they had a wrapped vehicle. They answered the phone and they were nice to people. And um, they built a billion dollar company. And now you've got franchisees in that system that got in in the 90s. One of them is doing 100 million a year. And wow. he paved, they paved the way for college hung selling junk, junking, junk luggers. But all of those brands combined aren't as big as 1-800-GOT-JUNK in terms of size and um, volume because they were first. I think, right. I mean, they obviously had a better mousetrap, but they were first. Then they went to national accounts because no one was competing with them. They got all those jobs. And so we're doing now to the power washing industry, what 1-800-GOT-JUNK did the junk business in the 90s. And I believe that that's something extraordinary. And I believe we need extraordinary individuals to help us get there. And actually, I do truly believe the only thing that's getting, that would get in the way of us getting there is bringing in the wrong people based upon the, right. um, what I've done. And so we've got a team, I've got a team of 15 people. I've delegated everything to them so I could be on the front lines talking to people like you and really being a steward of the brand. Um, and uh, we've got 32 locations open and operating. Every single other location will be open and operating by April. So we're not only selling locations, we're also opening them. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. It's no, very it does. One of, one of the questions that may be going through some minds right now, people listening to this, is this a seasonal business? I mean, especially up in the Northeast. I mean, I'm, I'm up here in Massachusetts right now. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, five inches, six inches of frozen snow. And, you know, yeah. I mean, and then, of course, if you head to Florida, I mean, it's a little cold right there now. But, I mean, it, it, it's a different picture. Is this a seasonal business? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain element of seasonality, especially on the residential side. The commercial side of the business is less seasonal. We are actually in the Northeast. Our founding location okay. isn't too far from you. It's in Pennsylvania um, and New Jersey. So um, this business has operated for 33 years as a seasonal, relatively seasonal business. Over the last about five years, our, our founders have gone really hard on the commercial side. Um, because like I said, you have a lot of that's less seasonal because you have a lot of recurring contracts. You have a lot of like quarterly cleanings for fast food restaurants and right. annual cleanings for gas stations. And they don't care when you do those jobs typically. I mean, they just right. need to be done. And so if it's 40 or above, we're power washing. If it's below 40, we're not. But I mean, like we've got franchisees out doing parking garages right now in Austin, Texas, and it's 37 in the middle of the day. So, I mean, like, it's just a matter of, I mean, it is seasonal to an extent, but the job still needs to be done. And if we're not doing it, some local guy who has no experience is going to be doing right. it and getting that revenue. And so if we can step in there and professionalize an industry, I do believe that we can, we can build a massive company. It's interesting you talk about the commercial side because, you know, some, you know, you know the image of power washing is, is that I have something that's dirty and I need to clean it, but there's the prevention side. And you look at things like you mentioned a, a, a garage, you know, a commercial garage, you know, a parking, you know, parking garage. I mean, there has to be this, you know, mold free, mildew free type. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you say that. Well, Aaron, yeah. this has been a, this has been an enlightening conversation. I mean, uh, it, you know, again, your story is remarkable and, you know, I, 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 I wish and can, you know, I continue to hope that, you know, uh, 
your success uh, follows you because uh, you you obviously understand how franchising works. That it's not so much having the concept; it's having the concept, having good franchisees, great franchisees, but also having the systems to support the franchisees and giving them the tools to be successful. So, uh, so one last question for you here: When would be the uh, how is the best way for someone to find out more about Rolling Suds? I mean, is it uh, go to their website. I mean, obviously people can reach out to me. I know you work with consultants. So, uh, yeah, any, any other information or point them in a direction? I would say if they're listening to this podcast, the best thing to do would be to reach out to you, um, because you can put them in touch with me. And if they come from you, uh, oftentimes I'll get on the intro call, um, myself, um, instead of my team, just cause I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and the consultants that I work with. Um, if they just want to learn more about the brand, I'm super active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Twitter, you can find right. me at Aaron Harper, CEO. Um, you can type in Aaron Harper on on LinkedIn. I put a, a lot. Of, I put out a lot of free content that it, I think is beneficial for both people who want to be franchisees and franchisors. And I try to yep. just give the knowledge that I know. So um, that's a good way to kind of just get clued into it. And then obviously there's our website, rollingsetsfranchise.com that has more detailed information, but I'd say they reach out to you would probably be the best bet. Great, great. Well, we've been talking to uh, Aaron Harper, who is CEO, founder um, uh, of Rolling Suds. Uh, I am your host, Scotty Milas of All Things Considered Franchising. It's uh, Thanks for stopping in and listening. Anybody who's interested in learning more about franchising, please reach out to me at scottmilasfranchisecoach.com or give me a call at 860-751-9126 or you can email me, scott, at scottmilasfranchisecoach.com. You could uh, listen to all of our podcasts on allthingsconsideredfranchising.com and, of course, all of the podcast streaming channels. This is Scotty Milas. Until next time, again, thanks, Aaron. It's been it's been great, very informative for our audience. Um, this is Scotty Milo saying so long. Until next time. Thanks.